Welcome to Prism Bible, where we learn the Bible so we can live the story. God has a part for each of us to play, and to understand our purpose, we need to grasp the big, beautiful story that's unfolding in history. Join us today as we see the fall of the Babylonian Empire. A prideful king makes a drunken decision, one which ends his life and his empire in a single night. You're listening to Prism Bible. The king of Babylon is missing in action. Missing since that fateful day at the royal palace when he bragged to himself of all the grandeur of his kingdom that he'd built. Missing since he'd heard that voice from heaven speaking these words. It is decreed to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from mankind to live with the beasts of the field, and you will feed on the grass like an ox and seven times will pass over you, until you acknowledge that the Most High rules over the kingdom of mankind and gives it to whom he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar would be missing from rule for seven years. Seven years of humiliation. Seven years living with the mind of a wild animal. The proud king of Babylon would be humbled by God until he recognized that the Most High rules. And so the seven years pass, until the king finally returns to himself, discovering a previously unknown humility. At the end of the seven years, Nebuchadnezzar says this, At the end of those days I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity was restored to me. Then I praised the Most High, and I honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does as he pleases with the army of heaven and the peoples of the earth. There is no one who can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, for all his works are true and all his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. God used the king of the large empire to illustrate the truth that God is king over all kings. He can give dominion to whomever he wills. People aren't owed subordinate sovereignty by God. Instead, he grants it for his own pleasure and his own purposes. No ruler is independent of God, and no power exists outside of God's sovereignty. A fact that the proud rulers of our present age would do well to remember. A fact too quickly forgotten among the kings of Babylon. After this account of the new humility of Nebuchadnezzar, the narrative quickly shifts to a later ruler of Babylon, a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. This king's name is Belshazzar, and Belshazzar is removed from rule in an entirely different way. Rather than a seven-year hiatus like Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar is removed permanently in dramatic fashion. His removal begins with a big party, interrupted by a floating hand writing strange words on the wall. King Belshazzar held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. 
Under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king could drink from them, along with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. Thus they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king drank from them, along with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. As they drank the wine, they praised their gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. At that moment, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, near the lampstand in the royal palace. As the king watched that the hand was writing, his face grew pale and his thoughts so alarmed that his hips gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought in. And he said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this inscription and tells me its interpretation will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So all the king's wise men came in, but they couldn't read the inscription or interpret it for him. Then King Belshazzar became even more terrified. His face grew even more paled and his nobles were bewildered. Notice the events leading up to the hand appearing to write on the wall. Belshazzar is throwing a party for thousands of people, and likely many were in a state of drunkenness. In this state, they decide to bring in some of the items formerly used in the Temple of Jerusalem for worship, items that would have been exclusively used by priests as they had performed their duties in the temple built by Solomon. At the party, these temple items are brought in, and the partiers casually drink out of them, praising the Babylonian gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. These items for worship of the true God were used to worship the fake gods of the Babylonians. It's at this point that the hand appears, writing an inscription on the wall that none of the wise men of Babylon can understand, writing that Belshazzar senses the importance of. His knees are knocking together, and his color changes. He senses a sort of impending judgment, though mysterious, hidden in the language of the writing on the wall. Soon Belshazzar's queen comes into the party. Hearing the outcry of the king and his nobles, the queen entered the banquet hall. O king, may you live forever, she said. Do not let your thoughts terrify you or your face grow pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the days of your father, he was found to have insight, intelligence, and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Your own father, the king, did this because Daniel, the one he named Belteshazzar, was found to have an extraordinary spirit, as well as knowledge, understanding, and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Summon Daniel, therefore, and he will give you the interpretation. The prophet Daniel, now probably in his 80s, had apparently lost some fame since the days of Nebuchadnezzar. But the queen remembered the aged prophet, suggesting that the man be called to give wise counsel. And so Daniel is sought. Soon he comes into the room to make known the interpretation of the writing on the wall. But before he reveals the mystery, he tells Belshazzar a story he already knows. The story of Nebuchadnezzar, humbled by a seven-year banishment from rule. Daniel knows Belshazzar is familiar with the story, and Daniel knows that Belshazzar hasn't heeded its lesson. Daniel says this, 
But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels from his house were brought to you, and as you drank wine from them with your nobles, wives, and concubines, you praised your gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you have failed to glorify the God who holds in his hands your very breath and all your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Now this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsin. And this is the interpretation of the message. Mene means that God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel means you have been weighed and measured on the scales and found wanting. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. It happened that very night. The shift from the Babylonian Empire to the Medo-Persian Empire was swift. In a single night, by the judgment of God, Belshazzar's reign and the dominance of his empire is decimated. The king is slain, and Darius of the Medo-Persian Empire rises to take his place. In the life of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue had moved from the gold head of Babylon to the silver kingdom of Medo-Persia. Daniel himself would face new challenges under the new empire, challenges involving prohibited prayer and hungry lions. But overall, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and during the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And chronologically, after the reigns of Darius and through Cyrus, Daniel's part in the story comes to an end. Daniel was a prophet faithful to God no matter the cost, and God gave him incredible insight into the future of the world. Through Daniel, God gave hope to the exiled nation, a nation in exile looking forward to the end of 70 years away from the land. Through Daniel, God was giving a hopeful view into the future of Israel. This hopeful future included a preview into future empires, details about God's plan for the nation, and exact timing for when the coming king would arrive on the world stage. With the future laid out, the nation would move into the next era of its history, an era that would begin with a decree from King Cyrus near the end of Daniel's life. The decree announced the end of the exile and a return of the exiles to the land of Canaan. The decree begins a new phase for the Jewish people. The Bible records this, at the very end of the book of 2 Chronicles. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord stirred the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, to send a proclamation throughout his kingdom and to put it in writing as follows. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, who has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, has appointed me to build a house for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Whoever among you belongs to his people, may the Lord his God be with him, and may he go up. The people are now allowed to return to the land, and Cyrus will help finance the rebuilding of the great temple in Jerusalem. Expectation among the Jews is surely brimming. Finally, the time to return is now.
Join us next time as we see a remnant of exiles return to the land. What will they find when they get there? Will it be peace or war? And how will this work out with Cyrus still ruling over the region? Will David's dynasty ever return? Don't forget to download the Prism Bible app, our mobile app to help you learn the Bible. In addition to this podcast content, we have Bible readings, summaries, and quiz questions on the app to help you get the most out of every lesson. Prism Bible is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping you learn the Bible.